Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for Dinner with Jesus, a series exploring transformative mealtime encounters found in the Gospels. Together, we will discover the depths of these moments, revealing Jesus' mission of redemption through love and grace. We pray this message is a blessing. Hey, if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather. And what I love about our kids' life is it's not a babysitting service. It's actually a place where we disciple the next generation of leaders and Christians, which is a really important thing. If you actually see the outworking of these kids each and every week, you see them serving in so many different areas of church. It's not about just knowing Jesus. It's actually about living that out. And that really should challenge us as adults. Of how do we live out our faith just like our kids do? So our kids' ministry is super, super important. But today, we're in our third week in a series called Dinner with Jesus, and we're exploring times where Jesus has dinner or meals with people. And it reveals a deep truth about who God is, his character and his nature. And it shows us how in these meals, how accepting Jesus is to have meals with anyone. We've gone through so many different ones already, but we're looking at the person of Jesus. He's he's accepting and willing to have a meal and sit down and interact with anyone and just love them. So, you know, church, hospitality, a sharing of a meal, it's biblical and it's a beautiful thing for us to extend to one another, but also to those who are exploring faith, those who want to know the truth. So today we're exploring the Last Supper, the last meal Jesus has these disciples before he's betrayed, arrested, tried, flogged, beaten, and then nailed to a cross, murdered on a cross. We find this in Luke 22. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, And Judas went to the chief priests and to the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when there was no crowd present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished, and make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. 
The Son of Man will go as has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this thing. Before I get into the message, I'd like to pray. Would you please join me? Father God, we just come to your word, Lord. For your word is truth. For your word is powerful, it's active. And God, we thank you for this, this last meal, this last supper that Jesus shared with his disciples, God. I pray that you would help me preach this message with truth, with grace and love, that in the end, Lord, they wouldn't look to me, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. It wasn't long after I got saved, it was probably about, yeah, would have been 10 years ago that, um, pray for me in this moment, that my grandmother passed away. And um, she was a beautiful Christian lady um, that showed me who Jesus was with her life. And uh, she had cancer. And we went down to see her. She was down in Sydney and... um, I knew it was the last time I was going to see her. And I had this beautiful moment with her where we were alone. And uh, we were just talking and it was just wonderful. And in the end, she prayed for me. I didn't pray for her, she prayed for me. And she just prayed that God would bless me and my family. And it was just, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful to spend those last few moments with her, knowing that when I left that room, I wouldn't see her again until the kingdom of God. Until I see her again at this feast that Jesus is talking about. And this is what's happening here in Luke 22. This is the last meal that the disciples will have with Jesus before he's crucified. And before he dies. And this last meal, unfortunately, is preceded with a betrayal. A betrayal from Jesus' own people, the Jews, his own religious rulers, the ones who were meant to welcome him. And worst of all, one of his own disciples. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve, and Judas went to the chief priests and to the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. We get to this point where it's the festival of unleavened bread and, and where they share the Passover, and it was coming up, and the chief priests and the religious rulers, they literally wanted to kill Jesus. If you look throughout the Gospels, there's multiple times where they plan to kill him. Or they actually try to kill him. They try to stone him. Or they try to throw him off a cliff. So this was not an unusual thing. But they actually knew that the general population, they loved him. So they wanted to find a way where they could arrest him without the population knowing, without the people knowing. It was like a clandestine operation. Right? We have these today. We have these operations that governments or militaries perform so they can influence certain situations without anyone knowing. We know about these, right? Just imagine if, if we knew all the stuff that's been done in secret. We would be shocked, honestly. 
And not only by governments, but by individuals too. How many things get done behind closed doors? Now think about us. How often do we do things in secret that we want no one to see or we want no one to know about? But John 3.20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So the fact that the Jewish rulers wanted to do this secretly is a huge red flag. It's actually evil. And we know that evil is part of this, in in part of this betrayal, because in verse 3 it says, Then Satan entered Judas. How did he enter Judas? Have you ever thought that? Like he's walked with Jesus for so long? It's through unbelief. You see, Judas didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe he was the Son of God. In the Gospels, Judas never makes a call, never calls Jesus Lord. He never makes a a proclamation of faith. He never makes a declaration of who Jesus is, like all the other disciples do. Most, A lot of the other disciples, they make this declaration of who Jesus is. But Judas never does that. He never believes. And I think to myself, how? How is that possible when he sees all the miracles? He's seen all this stuff that Jesus has done. But then you think about it, so did the Pharisees and so did the religious rulers. There was a time when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And it wasn't like the religious rulers went, all right, that's enough, I'll believe now. It literally says they went away and plotted to kill him. Like, how do you see that stuff? They saw miracles, but they wanted to kill Jesus. And Judas was an evil man. In fact, the Apostle John tells us that Judas was a thief. In John 12, 6, Jesus is is anointed with some perfume and he starts complaining, oh, that could have been sold for money to give to the poor. And John says... He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He was actually thieving off the disciples, thieving off Jesus. The money that they had, that they were meant to sustain each other with and give to the poor at times, he was actually stealing out of that bag. So he wasn't a good person. C.S. Lewis says, For you certainly will carry out God's purpose, however you act, but it makes a difference whether you serve like Judas or like John. You see, we have an opportunity to respond to the person of Jesus and how we work that out, how we live that out, makes a real difference. Do you want to be Judas and betray Jesus or do you want to be John and be the disciple that Jesus loved? The truth is that Judas was an unbelieving man that betrayed Jesus simply for money. This is the reality. He actually gave devil, Satan, a foothold in his life. Money was something that he was greedy for. And Satan enters Judas and he goes to the chief priest and he betrays Jesus for some money, just simply money. Mother Teresa says, I fear one thing, money. Greed is what motivated motivated Judas to sell Jesus. And we need to learn a really good lesson from Judas here and ask ourselves the questions, what areas in our life do we give Satan a foothold? What areas do we let him in? To have his way. Is it through money? Is it greed? Is it comfort or laziness? Is it pride and fame? Is it sex? Is it pornography? I'm throwing this stuff out there. Because these are the areas where, where Satan can get in. Is it lying and stealing, gossip and hate? I could go on and on, right? But these are all Satan's character and nature. They're not godly at all. This is why we need as Christians to be constantly repenting of sin and asking God to convict us of sin and ask the Holy Spirit to actually change us that we would want to live a righteous life. 
But Judas gave himself over to his sin and, and Satan through unbelief. So then Judas, from that point, was actually looking for a time when Jesus was away from the people to betray him. And we get to verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asked, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. So the, the Passover celebration or meal is on and it needs to take place and, and they're going to eat and celebrate. And Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go. Go and make ready for this. And it really, I, I, I look at this and I think, could you imagine what that would be like? Do you imagine being one of the disciples, Peter or John? He's like, hey, go into town and there'll be a guy with a water jar. Imagine walking down there going, oh, this is going to be so weird. Like walking into town and then going to, you know, Peter going to John, I hope we don't see a guy with a water jar because this is going to be super awkward just following him, right? But then they see a guy with a water jar and they're like, all right, just a little bit further back. This is going to be weird if he thinks we're following him, right? So they follow to the house and you can imagine them standing at the front. Well, this would be me and me and David. David, you go in and say something. No, you go in. No, you go in. No, you're the pastor. I'm like, so what? You go in and ask if it's okay if we can use the house, right? It'd be so weird. Be so weird. But Jesus knows, right? This is actually what's going to happen. I love the Gospels, how they just tell it how it is and they move on like nothing's happened. For them, it probably is nothing compared to what they've seen Jesus do. But if that happened to me, I'd be like, this is amazing. It was exactly how Jesus said. But this is another example where Jesus shows that he is God and he knows all things and he even knows the future. So it happened as Jesus said, and they go and prepare the Passover celebration. Now, this makes me ask the question, what is the festival of unleavened bread and the Passover meal? What is it? Well, 1,500 years earlier in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, we see the children of Israel, and they're in captivity in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh has had them captive for around 400 years, and they've been crying out to God. And God goes, I'm going to release my people from captivity. So he sends Moses in to see Pharaoh, and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And so God brings 10 plagues on Egypt. And each, after each plague, he goes in, and Pharaoh's like, all right, if he stops the plague, I'll let him go. So they stop the plague, and then he's like, no, nah, I'm not letting him go. He just kept hardening his heart against the children of Israel. And so then comes the final judgment, the 10th judgment. Now, just a side note, these 10 plagues actually correlate with 10 different gods that I used to worship. God was showing that I'm the true God. These ones you're worshipping, they're nothing compared to me. But he brings the last one. And the last one is judgment of death. And he actually says to the children of Israel, I'm going to bring death into every single household in the, in the land of Egypt. I'm going to kill the firstborn. This is to bring judgment on this land because he will not let my people go. And so Moses says to the children of Israel, this is what we're going to do. God has given us a way that we would be saved from this death. And he says, go, kill a lamb, a perfect, unblemished lamb. Eat it as the Passover meal, but take the blood and put it on the doorpost and on the lentil above the doorpost. He says, do this and death will pass over whoever is in that house. 
And so they bake unleavened bread. They eat this Passover meal. And we get that in Exodus 12, 23. He says, When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on, top and, on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter the house and strike you down. And so this is what happens. The Israelites make unleavened bread. They kill an unblemished, perfect lamb. And they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the lentil of their house, of every house. And the destroyer, the angel of death, comes. He comes to destroy and to kill. And, but when he sees the blood, when the, when the destroyer sees the blood on the doorpost, he actually passes over that house. And because of this judgment of death, even Pharaoh's family, in Pharaoh's family, people died. So finally, after the ten plagues and this final judgment, Pharaoh finally lets the children of Israel go. And they escape captivity and slavery, and they start their journey into the promised land. So therefore, for the next 1,500 years before Jesus, they had been celebrating the Passover meal in remembrance of what God had done to set them free. That because of the blood of the lamb, death had passed over them. Does this sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like communion, right? And for the past 2,000 years, we've been celebrating being set free from the judgment of sin and death by the blood of Jesus. And through death on the cross, judgment has passed over us. You see, all what happens in the Old Testament is actually foreshadowing their promises of who would come and fulfill that. Jesus says this to the Pharisees and the religious rulers in John 5. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There was no New Testament at this stage that wasn't written. So Jesus is exclusively speaking about the Old Testament. He's saying, you search them because you think you have eternal life in them, but they're talking about me. Everything in there is foreshadowing me to come. You see, the Passover was a foreshadow of what Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior would come and do for all humanity. And Jesus knew this. He knew this. Verse 14, when the hour had come, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. You see, Jesus knows he's about to die for the sins of the entire world. He knows that he must shed his blood to pay for our sin. And he's aware that this is his last meal. How would you feel? How would you feel if this was your last meal? What would you eat? I'd probably get KFC or something like that, donuts or whatever, you know. Something that I know is not going to bother me with my big guts. But how would you feel if this is your very last meal? And who would you have dinner with? And what wisdom would you impart to them? Think about that. It's your last meal. It's your last day on earth. Who would you have there? And what would you say to them? I'd probably you know, have my family there, especially my boys, and I'd try and give them as much wisdom as I could try and encourage them as much as I can to follow Jesus all their life. But Jesus, with this deep love for his disciples, he doesn't complain or anything like that. Like, I'm going about to die. You should be thankful. He says, I eagerly desire to eat this meal with you. He eagerly desires to eat this. Out of this genuine love for his disciples and the world, because he knew he was going to do. He's been eagerly waiting for this. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, 
endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God on the throne of God. It says, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He eagerly awaited this moment because he knew with a joyful heart that if he went to the cross and died, that he would redeem all of his disciples and all those throughout history that put their faith and trust in him. You see, Jesus embraces the cross because he knew that if he did, what would happen? That we'd be free from sin, that we'd become children of God, that we'd be welcomed into his kingdom, into the promised land, into God's eternal kingdom. He says, For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Do we know that there is a feast to come greater than this feast? It's when Jesus returns and we are all resurrected to this feast with the new heavens and the new earth. We're free from pain and suffering and hurt and sin. And it's actually called the wedding feast of the Lamb. We find that in Revelation 19.9. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. There is a dinner coming. There will be all dinners. Where we will feast in the presence of Almighty God and he'll make all things new. Bella Abzug says, maybe we aren't at the Last Supper, we weren't at the Last Supper, but we're certainly going to be at the next one. We're certainly going to be at the next one with my grandmother and my grandfather sitting there dining with Jesus together. The question is, are you invited? Have you been covered by the blood of the Lamb? You see, it's only through putting your faith and trust in Jesus that we get this opportunity to be at this feast. And then he says, and he took the bread and when he broke it, he gave it to them and saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Church, this is communion. You see, we think it's a ritual. We think it's a man-made ritual that we just do. Oh, we just do it. We go through the motions. No, this was instituted by Jesus. By the one that we call Lord... And Savior instituted this. And it's actually a command. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Do we know how reverent this meal is? How we should actually approach it? And we're actually going to share communion in this moment. I'm going to ask Aaron to come up, if you can start playing behind. And if the service could come up and just grab the elements. Stay in your seat. Because they're going to come down and they're going to pass you the elements. So I would ask you, as you grab your elements, just hold on to them. Because I'm actually going to teach you about the body and the blood and what that means, the significance of the body and the blood. So the server is going to come down now as the music plays and they're going to pass it to you. So just hold on to it and then we'll get back into it in a moment. Now I want you to just look at the bread. Imagine you're at this meal with Jesus. You're one of his disciples. You are one of his disciples. And he took the bread and when he gave thanks, he broke and said, and gave it to them saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is Jesus' body. 
He came in the flesh. God himself stepped off his throne. He came down and put on human flesh that we may see the beauty and the wonder of who God really is. And he says, I'm going to step into this flesh, but I'm going to give it up. I'm going to give it up for you. I'm going to allow it to be beaten and battered and pierced for you. And what you have in your hand is unleavened bread. The significance of unleavened bread is leaven in the Bible is, is understood to be like sin. You put a tiny little bit of yeast in bread and it leavens the whole lump. It's like we have one sin. We fall short of the mercy and the grace of God. Any one of us has sinned. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter if you sinned a little or you've sinned a lot. The whole lump is leavened. But there is one person that walked this world, that walked this earth, that was unleavened bread, and that was the person of Jesus. He was a sinless, unblemished lamb of God. And he says, do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying, you know how you celebrate and remember the Passover because God saved you from slavery and bondage in Egypt? Do this in remembrance of what I'm going to do for you on the cross. I'm going to give up my body. Therefore, this is Christ's body broken for you. Let's eat together with thankful hearts. Now look at the cup. He says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's a new covenant. This is a new promise. We have the old covenant. The old covenant looked forward to the promises of God. God was always saying, here are the promises. I will come and set you free. I'll put a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will save you from your enemy, which is sin. This is coming. That was the old covenant. Looking forward to the person and work of Jesus. And we have the new covenant where Jesus comes. And he fulfills all of that. He fulfills the whole Old Testament. All those foreshadows. And he comes and he dies and he sheds his blood. It's his blood, like the blood that's on the doorpost in Passover. The death passes over all those inside. If we have the blood of Christ, if we've been forgiven and restored and redeemed by Jesus, death passes over us. You see, Passover was a shadow of the Messiah to come. The perfect Lamb of God that shed his blood so we would be forgiven. You see, Jesus is declaring in this meal that I am the fulfillment of the Passover. I am the Passover for all the people. This is why I'll be crucified on Passover week, on Passover celebration to tell you I'm fulfilling this because I'm the Savior for the entire world. You know, John the Baptist knew this. Three and a half years earlier when Jesus turns up on the scene, we see this in John 1, 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Everyone knew what he was talking about. He's talking to the Jewish people. They knew about the Lamb, the doorpost. He says, look, that guy, 
He's coming to do that for everyone. Jesus claimed, I'm the Passover meal. And my, my blood will take away the sin of the entire world. It's the pure, sinless blood of Jesus poured out for you and me. The judgment of death will pass over us. And we get to be set free from our captive, which is Satan and sin and judgment for sin, which is death. If you're covered in the blood of Christ, you're forgiven. You become God's people and you'll actually be with him for eternity. You see, the blood of Jesus is so powerful and so precious. Therefore, this is Christ's blood shed for you, shed for me, for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together as a family. You know, this week I was at Alpha with Peter and Vanessa. And um, of all the weeks, of all the weeks or days or minutes in the year, Peter leans over to me as we're watching the video and goes, hey, look at this. He had no idea what I was preaching on this week. And leans over and he shows me this picture and says, the Lord did not check who was inside the house was worthy. He checked for the blood on the doorpost. None of us is worthy. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us. And I was just like, like these little miracles, we pass over them as if they're nothing. What are the chances of him leaning over to me in a week like this week and showing me that picture? And it's so true. He didn't look inside to see who was worthy. He didn't see who was perfect. He didn't see who was righteous. That was simply covered by the blood. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here thinking you're not worthy, good, none of us are. That's what brings us to him. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of his love. I'm only saved. David's only saved. Anna's only saved. We're only saved because of the blood of Jesus, not because I'm super righteous. But he won't leave you there. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit that you will walk in righteousness and goodness. That's the gospel, church. That's why Jesus came. To redeem, to restore, to make us a new creation, to call us sons and daughters. And through this meal, Jesus wanted to teach his disciples that he's the ultimate Passover, the perfect Lamb of God, not just for them, but for the entire world. That's why we celebrate communion, because we're remembering what Jesus did for us. N.T. Wright says, When Jesus wanted to explain to his disciples what his death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He gave them a meal. Jesus eagerly wanted to share this meal with his disciples, and we too should want to eagerly share it with each other to remember what Jesus did for us all. And we share this as a meal because a meal is a place where you commune with one another, right? It's a place where you hang out and you love one another. You share life, you share the struggles, you share joy, and you share it with one another. And Jesus instituted a meal because we're meant to be in relationship with God. And we're meant to be in relationship with one another. Do you know we worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? They have been in perfect relationship for all of eternity, loving and serving one another And then God invites us into that relationship. He wants to have that relationship with us too. But we are, because we're created in the image of God, we're actually created for community. We're created to be in relationship with one another. And that's the importance of sharing this meal together. 
We share in communion as a declaration of our unity in Jesus as children of God across the whole world and across all of time for the last 2,000 years. You see, Jesus is always eager to share a meal with all kinds of people. So who are you sharing meals with? Like practically throughout the week. Who are you eagerly wanting to spend time with to show them the grace and the love of God? Who are you having coffee with? Who are you having breakfast with? Who are you having lunch with? Who are you inviting into your house for a bit of hospitality to share Jesus with? And when you take communion, is it, is it just a boring ritual? Or is it a thankful meal with brothers and sisters of faith remembering what Jesus has done for us? Remembering the grace that's been extended to you and me by a loving, sacrificial God. Church, this is not a ritual, but it's an honor. It's a physical representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should receive it with reverence, with thankfulness, with an awe and wonder of the love and grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Jesus. I can't imagine what it would have been like for you to stare down that cross, to walk towards it with joy. It would have scared me. But Lord, I thank you that you embraced the cross that I would be forgiven, that by your blood, death passes over me, not because I'm righteous, but because you are, because you're full of love and full of mercy, Lord. May the gospel of Jesus, the basic gospel, never grow weary in our heart. May it be the joy that we stand on, the firm foundation of our faith. And as we're in this moment of prayer, if you're here and you've not received that, the forgiveness of Jesus, he's actually extending that to you today. So I'm going to ask if you would just be bold just ask if you put your hand up and I would just love to pray for you if you want to accept the love and the grace and the forgiveness of God in this moment thank you and Lord we just thank you for your mercy your grace I pray for those here today that want to receive you that repent of their sin that ask for your forgiveness they put their faith and trust in what you've done for us on the cross Jesus and God, I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Would you like to stand as we worship? Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.